Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. Last week, we kicked off a new teaching series called Kingdomnomics. And we're looking at economics through the lens of the kingdom of God, and specifically what Jesus had to say about how we handle money, because he talked about it a lot. One-sixth of all his recorded words had something to do with money, and over one-third of his parables were on the subject of money. And you may say, why is that? It's because Jesus understood that money is more than a source of coins and currency. It's a means of shaping our character. So Jesus said things like this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your money leads, your heart follows. It just does. And Jesus knew that. He said things like this, be careful and guard against all kinds of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, someone watching or listening may push back and say, well, Jesus, it kind of is in my world. That's exactly how we measure life down here. You're measured by what salary you make and what neighborhood you live in and what kind of clothes you wear, and what kind of car you drive, what kind of job you have, what school you go to. That's how things work in the empires of this world. But Jesus is inviting us into a new kind of kingdom. And if you're going to live in this new kingdom, you have to live by a different kind of economic system. In this series, we're studying four basic kingdomnomics principles. Last week, we took a look at Kingdomnomics 101, which says God owns all. To understand anything about money from a kingdom perspective, you have to start right here because the consistent voice of Scripture writers makes it clear God has the absolute right to all things because He's the Creator, He's the Sustainer, and He's the Redeemer of all things. This is what we call a top-button truth. In other words, if we don't acknowledge and understand all the implications of this, and we talked about several last week, then we have no shot at passing kingdomnomics. Now, we may have some folks with us today who say, I don't know if I buy all this God stuff and all this God's kingdom stuff anyway. And I want to say that's fine. We're so glad that uh, you're with us at one of our campuses or joining us online. But I think here's something you and I can both agree on. You were born with nothing, and when you die, you'll take nothing with you. So what that means, whether you believe in God or not, is everything you think you own is really on loan. Everything you think you own is really on loan. Now, for those of us who do believe in God, this truth leads us to Kingdomnomics 201 that we're going to talk about today. We manage God's trust fund. When we realize we truly own nothing, we understand it's our responsibility to steward everything. Now, in our modern Western culture, we don't use the word steward much, but in Jesus' day, it was a very common part of society. 
Jesus lived in an agrarian, an agrarian-based economy. People accumulated wealth through livestock, through farming. And the owner uh, of the farm or the estate would always hire a sharp person to be his steward. And they would manage the farm or the estate on behalf of the owner. The owner might take a trip. Back in those days when you took a trip, it wasn't a quick plane ride or a short road trip to where you wanted to go. You could be gone for days and weeks or possibly even months depending on where you were going. While the owner is away, that steward has total responsibility to take care of what belongs to the owner. Now, the owner will return one day, but while he's gone, he can't FaceTime, text, or Zoom. He's just going to have to trust. But when he comes back, the first thing he's going to do is find that manager. He's going to find that steward, and he's going to ask, how did you take care of what I entrusted you with. So let's be clear. A steward is somebody who manages the assets of an owner. Now, you might not be aware of this, but this is the first command given in the first book of all the biblical books, Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, thus establishing his, his right to claim everything. He made it all. But later on in Genesis 1, here's what we read. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God is basically saying to the man and woman here, you run my ranch. The very first thing that human beings are taught from God is to be a steward. This has huge implications. For example, this has implications for how we take care of the environment. Yes, ecology is a spiritual matter because this is not your world. This is God's world, and he's asked us to take care of it. How are we doing with that one? This has implications for how we use our time. Because you don't make time, it's a gift from God. He decides how much time you get. Therefore, we're called to steward our time. This is why Paul wrote to first century Christians, encouraged them to redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because we only get so much time. This has implications for how we take care of our body. How we exercise, how we eat, what you use your body to do. And again, Paul was really clear about this with the early followers of Jesus. You are not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This has implications for how you raise your kids because your kids are on loan from God. And sometimes it's helpful to say, you know, God, these kids of yours are getting a little out of control. <laughs> little help here, please. And certainly this has huge implications for how you manage your finances. We are to actively and responsibly take care of God's creation for God's purposes. That means we don't see ourselves as entitled. We see ourselves as entrusted. We're entrusted. Because in this kingdom, you don't measure life by how much someone owns. You measure a life by how they take care of what was on loan. And God's going to hold us accountable for this. In every one of these stories that Jesus talks about an owner and a steward, the owner always returns 
and asked the steward, did you manage well what I entrusted you with? So please hear this. Jesus is coming back. I read it in the syllabus. It's in there. He's going to thoroughly evaluate our stewardship. So don't be shocked and say, I didn't know this would go to be on the final. It's in the syllabus. Joe, a university student, was taking a course in ornithology, and that's the study of birds. And the night before the biggest test of the semester, Joe spent all night studying. He had the textbook nearly memorized. He knew his class notes backwards and forwards. Joe was ready. The morning of the test, Joe entered the lecture auditorium, took a seat on the front row, and on the table in the front of the hall was a row of 10 stuffed birds. And each bird had a sack covering its body, only the legs were showing. When the class started, the professor announced their final exam would be to identify each bird by only looking at its legs and giving its common name, species, habitat, mating habits, etc. Joe looked at each of the bird's legs, and they all looked the same to him. He started to get angry. He stayed up all night studying for this test, and now he's got to identify birds by their legs. And the more he thought about it, the anger he got. And finally, he reached his boiling point, and he stood up, and he marched to the professor's desk, and he crumpled up his exam paper, and he threw it on the desk. And he said, what a ridiculous test. How could anyone tell the difference between these birds by looking at their legs? This exam's the biggest ripoff I've ever seen. And with that, Joe turned and stormed toward the exit. The professor was a bit shocked at first, and then he regained his composure, and he said, wait a minute, young man, what's your name? And Joe turned around, pulled up his pants legs, and hollered, you tell me, professor, you tell me. Now, let me tell you, on God's final exam, he's not going to ask you to show your legs, but he's going to ask you to show how you loved and served. Now, hear this right now. This is not a pass-fail test to determine if you get in, your entrance has already been secured at the cross of Jesus, okay? That's not in doubt. But God wants to examine how you used your life to help others know eternal life. You see, stewardship is not a program. Stewardship is not a gimmick to get money that preachers trot out every so often to increase giving. Stewardship is a lifestyle. It's a witness to this world about the one that is coming, which is the real world. So when we're talking about managing God's trust fund, four things I want to tell you about today. I want to be clear about number one, my use of money will not get me into heaven. We can never use money to buy off God. The only thing that can rescue and ransom, ransom a sinner is the blood of Jesus Christ. But some of these stories Jesus tells about stewardship seems to imply that there is a relationship between management and judgment. For example, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells three stories about management. The first one is about Foolish and wise bridesmaids, waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. The wise ones were prepared. The foolish were not. The moral simple. Don't be foolish. Bridegroom's coming. Be ready. Second story, the owner gives three of his stewards different amounts of his assets to manage. He's gone a long time. Everybody knows he's coming back. The first two stewards invested well and doubled their return on the owner's investment. And they hear the owner say to them, well done. But the third guy had done no investing, he'd not managed well, he was fearful and lazy, and then he tried to blame the owner for his lack of activity. He was not rewarded. 
The third story Jesus tells in Matthew 25 is what's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And here's what Jesus said. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, they're told to come and take your inheritance. An inheritance is not a wage you've earned. An inheritance is a gift you received because someone else has died. By the way, if you need some help figuring out who inherits what from your estate, then you can join us tonight at our Apopka campus for our legacy planning seminar at 6 o'clock. It'll be very helpful for you and for your loved ones. Let me be clear. When we read the word inheritance, that, does, that, that means that we don't purchase salvation. It was purchased for us and given to us because of the death of another. It's not something we achieve. It's a gift we receive. And I think Peter put it best when he wrote, For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So when Jesus says to the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, he's not making a statement about their merits, he's merely showcasing God's mercy. In fact, the sheep are completely unaware of what they've done. And so they said, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? When do we see you thirsty, give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So the sheep aren't boasting about what they've done. They're not going, yeah, nailed it. They are unconsciously but consistently seeing their hearts overflow to others because their hearts have been changed by grace. They do what they do because they love the king. And when you love the king, you love who the king loves. And you understand that that means more than saying, oh, my heart goes out to them. Oh, bless their little hearts, those poor people. No, when you love who the king loves, you give to them some of what the king entrusted to you. So while Jesus is clearly saying here, my use of money cannot get me into heaven, I do think he's saying this, my use of money can keep heaven from getting into me. Now let me explain what I mean by that. I want to look at some fascinating words from Paul to the Corinthian church. There's a little longer passage, but let's read it. By the grace God's given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, The builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. There's a lot we could say about this deep and dense passage, but let me try to summarize it for you like this. 
Paul is saying that Jesus is the only reliable foundation for salvation. However, we're all building our lives on that foundation. We just sang that song, I will build my life on this sure foundation. And how do we do that? By how we use the things God has entrusted to us. Our treasure, our talents, our time, our testimony. Stewardship is all-inclusive of all those things. Some people give God their best represented by gold, silver, and costly stones, and some people give God the rest represented by wood, hay, or straw. When it's all said and done in life, will what you've given to God stand the test of trials, tribulation, and trouble because your giving revealed your heart was all in on the kingdom? Or will it all go up in smoke when the fiery trials come because while you accepted Jesus' payment for your sins, you never surrendered to his plan for your life? Let me ask it another way. Did you view salvation as a one-time transaction instead of a lifelong transformation? So often when we speak of trusting Jesus for our salvation, what we really mean is trusting an arrangement Jesus made to get us into the good place when we die, which leads to people trusting more in an arrangement Jesus made without trusting Jesus himself. John Ordberg says, imagine someone saying to Jesus, I trust that you've deposited merit in my heavenly bank account, and I will consume your merit to get in, but I don't trust you enough to actually do what you said about money or sex or anger or prayer or God. I'm just going to use your blood, Jesus, to avoid hell, but I'd like to retain control of my own life. Thank you very much. Let's imagine this for a moment in a more earthy example. Suppose if I had said to Melinda, that's my wife, on our wedding day, I want to know what's the absolute least I can do to stay married to you. What's the lowest level of commitment? The fewest affirmations, the smallest promises, the highest level of ignorance permissible to maintain my husband's status with you. It had been a very short ceremony if there would have been one at all. Marriage as God designed it is not just a legal status. It is a personal, spiritual, relational reality that requires fidelity, vulnerability, servanthood, commitment, and occasionally giving up the remote control. (laughs) Nobody just wants to be married, but everybody who is married wants to enjoy marriage. So let's go back to Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 3, and let's apply that to the marriage analogy. Guys, What kind of gift would your wife prefer to get from you? A gift of gold, silver, or costly stones, or something more in the wood, hay, and straw department? This is not a trick question. Can you imagine giving your wife a bale of hay for your anniversary? You may stay married, but only as one escaping through the flames. The quality of the gifts reflect the investment in the relationship. And no one is poor who has rich relationships. And no one is rich whose only wealth is just riches. There's an old legend about a man who had a treasure of gold. And he buried it in a field under a tree. And each week he would go out and he would dig it up. And he would stare at it. 
and then he would be buried again. Did this week after week after week. And a thief noticed his behavior and followed him one day. And after the man left, the thief dug up the man's gold and ran off with it. So when the man goes out the next week and digs a hole by the tree, his gold is missing. And he cries and wails so loudly, the neighbors come running and ask what happened. And he explains. And one of the neighbors said, well, what did you ever do with your gold? He said, nothing. I just came to stare at it. The neighbor said, well, then why don't you just come out and stare at this hole? <laughs> and that silly question raises, uh, that silly story raises an important question. Here it is. If you don't own it, then why did God loan it? If you don't own it, then why did God loan it? And the answer to that brings us to our stewardship principle today. Number three, my use of my money can put treasure in heaven. My use of money can put treasure in heaven. You say, what are you talking about? I'm going to let Jesus take this one. Don't store up treasures for yourselves here on earth where moths and rust will destroy them, and thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust or where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Now consider what Jesus is saying here. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why not? Because earthly treasures are bad? No, because they won't last. The Proverbs writer said this in chapter 23, verse 5, the book of Proverbs, cast but a glance at riches and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. What a great word picture that is. Next time you buy a prized possession, imagine it sprouting wings and flying off because sooner or later it's going to disappear. Every item we buy is one more thing to think about, talk about, clean, insure, repair, rearrange, and replace when it goes bad. So when Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just that earthly treasure might be lost. It's because it will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. No exception. I'm going to tell you a story that will make you roll your eyes if I haven't already. A man in Australia had some debts he wanted to pay off, so he sold his car. He got $15,000 from the sale. He had several bills he was going to pay off, but he couldn't do it for a couple of days. And why he did what he did next, no one will ever know. Instead of putting the money in a desk drawer or in a closet or even under his mattress, he decided to store it in the oven in the kitchen because they never used it. And you can already guess where this is going. His wife comes along a few hours later and decides to preheat the oven to warm up some chicken nuggets for their children. And I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what kind of fool would put his treasure in a place where it will burn? And may I say to you, you just took the words right out of Jesus' mouth. According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasure isn't simply wrong. It's just plain stupid. But notice that Jesus doesn't just tell us where not to put our treasures. He gives the best investment advice, advice you're ever going to hear. He says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Jesus is not against storing up treasures for ourselves. In fact, he commands it. He wants us to store up treasures. He just tells us to stop storing them in the wrong place, start storing them in the right place. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because it's right? Yes, but that's not all. Because it's smart. 
because such treasures will last. You see, Jesus is arguing from the bottom line here. What's the bottom line? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You say, how can we do that? Some of you have already done it. You didn't just go through the motions today. You really worshiped. You let your heart burst in praise to God. Every time you do that, you're storing up treasure in heaven. Every time you resist the pull of sin or the pull of the crowd on your life and you turn your eyes upon Jesus, you're storing up treasure in heaven. Every time you're kind and compassionate and serve another human being, whether they thank you or not, you're storing up treasure in heaven. And every time you take something from your bank account and you give it away so others can do ministry in the name of Jesus, you are storing up treasure in heaven. Listen to me. The empires of this world use people to win money, but in Jesus' kingdom, we use money to win people. Here's how Paul explained it. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, every day you are either moving toward your treasure or you're moving away from it, depending on where you stored it. Randy Alcorn explains it like this. He who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. To him, death is loss. He who lays up treasure in heaven is daily moving toward his treasures. To him, death is gain. We always want to be moving in the direction of the kingdom that is coming because here is the last and coolest truth about stewardship. Number four, my use of money can bring heaven to earth. My use of money can bring heaven to earth. Heaven is on the way. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew 19. He says, I assure you that when the world is made new, those words made new literally means Genesis again. Remember Genesis 1, when the world was good, the world was right, the world was exactly as God wanted. Jesus said, that's coming again. This world is going to be made new. And the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. In other words, there won't be any more debate about who Jesus is at that point because every eye is going to see and every knee is going to bow to the name that is above every name. And he said, you who've been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I think he's talking to the apostles there. And everyone... That means you, that means me. Everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. You see, here's the deal. Jesus isn't asking us to escape the world. Jesus is asking us to engage the world. Jesus is asking us to join the mission of God to renew the world. God said in Revelation, behold, I'm making everything new. And we as a church full of stewards are to give witness to this coming reality. I have talked to so many people lately who are so discouraged and so defeated about the future and what might happen. Can I tell you, I'm not. 
Because I know what's going to happen. God's team wins. The resurrection cures everything. Justice will prevail, and up there is coming down here. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs of what we're going to go through before we get there, and nobody else does either. But the verdict on this world is in, the victory has been won, and the kingdom will be established. And what we're doing as we manage God's trust fund is we're not just marching into heaven, we're marching into the world to give the world a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of the kingdom that is on the way. And that's what our year-end giving initiative is all about, that we're calling Mission 2022. We're seeking to raise all the funds needed to fund all of our 2022 local, national, and international mission partners and projects in the month of December. You say, what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about helping rescue children from slavery in Ghana through our partnership with International Justice Mission. I'm talking about training pastors in ministry in former communist countries through taking Christ to the millions in Austria. I'm talking about helping scared women who are facing a crisis pregnancy know there are alternatives to abortion through Choices Clinic for Women in downtown Orlando and over by the UCF campus. I'm talking about planting churches in some of the most unchurched cities in our country, like West Palm Beach, Florida. I'm talking about helping hundreds of households who get some badly needed food assistance through our Food for Life distribution here at our Apopka campus every month. Friends from West Africa to West Palm Beach, from Austria to Apopka, we are funding the mission of God to bring up there, down here. And I want to tell you something. The gospel, listen carefully. The gospel is more than if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? The gospel is also, and if you wake up tomorrow morning, do you know what you will do? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, you do. As a manager of God's trust fund, you and I will partner in the mission of God to make disciples of Jesus who love God, love people, and serve the world. And you say, Pastor, you've given us a lot to think about. And I would say, no. God's given us a lot. So think about it. Even better. Let's pray about it. So, Father, we thank you. As we come today just acknowledging everything we have is from you and it's for your glory. And you have entrusted to us for a season, for a time. We don't own everything we have is really on loan. From the earth we walk on to the air we breathe, to the time that we spend or waste, to the children that you allow to come into our lives. And certainly, Lord, through the whatever stuff, whatever amounts we have, the stuff that will so quickly leave us and be taken from us, Father, it's all because of you. So, Father, we thank you. We have a moment right now just to acknowledge. We're not going to take anything with us. 
But we can send it on ahead in the name of Jesus. As we lay up treasure in heaven and as we use treasure to help heaven come to earth. We pray that right now. Thank you that we get to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, we pray. We all agree and said. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible.